controversy, fun, and conversation. All the things that radio used to be. NapaBroadcasting.com Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. Well, the origins of the quote are murky. It certainly might be said of traffic in Napa and the greater Bay Area that wherever you go, there you are. Just a generation ago, one-third of the U.S. population lived in cities. Today, that number is two-thirds. Traffic congestion is a fact of life, no matter how much we might complain about it. And while technology like Waze and Uber and the promise of self-driving cars may help, we just have a lot of people that need to be moved around, and especially in the Bay Area with its stilted public transportation. Napa County is no exception. While we still envision ourselves as a rural county, we're a world-class destination with some world-class congestion. The Napa County Board of Supervisors recently adopted a new circulation plan, some of it reality, some of it fantasy. But to get to the core of what can really happen and what's happening now, I'm joined by Kate Miller, the Executive Director of the Napa Valley Transportation Authority. Kate, thanks so much for coming in. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a delight to have you here. I want to uh, have you first kind of explain, because I know it's always confusing to people, and uh, you know, sometimes I forget, and I know other people do as I talk to them, exactly what it is that uh, your organization does, how it relates to what the county does, what the cities do, the, the joint powers agreement that kind of ties it all together. Sure. So in the San Francisco Bay Area, the Metropolitan Planning Agency um, is uh, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. And they uh, work with the county transportation agencies. We used to call ourselves the congestion management agencies, but now we're called the county transportation agencies. Then work with uh, jurisdictions in each of our respective counties to uh, do the transportation planning to understand how to prioritize the funds that the Metropolitan Transportation Commission gives to each county and then distribute that to the jurisdictions. We're also responsible, so when I, I mentioned planning, we do a countywide transportation plan every four years. We uh, complete a countywide pedestrian and a countywide bicycle plan, which all of the jurisdictions use for their independent planning efforts. And um, and then we uh, look to those plans to prioritize projects. And we're also the primary liaison with the Department of Transportation, Caltrans, and work with them on highway improvements. Um, so the difference between what we're doing and what the jurisdictions independently do is that they're mandated to do their general plans. And part of that is circulation element, which is constrained to their um, specific jurisdiction. So for the county, it's the uh, unincorporated areas within uh, the county, and then for the cities, it's their cities. Um, and we are subject to those, um, but you know, ultimately, when a, the county, for instance, asks us to fund a particular project, it has to be consistent with their general plan, but it also has to be consistent with the countywide transportation plan. Is this an effective system for this day and age when we talk about so many issues, transportation perhaps being the penultimate, but so many things being regional in scope, in, particularly in the Bay Area? Is, is this system still workable, still practical in this day and age? Well, you know, I mean, well, that's a big question. I think the one way that it works the best is that um, it limits the number of 
agencies that the Metropolitan Transportation Commission works directly with. And so we can really focus our advocacy. And there's just nine of us as opposed to 100. I think we have 101 cities and nine counties. Um, And I think that that makes the voice that the Metropolitan Transportation Commission hears a little bit clearer and louder, allows us to establish relationships um, that I think would be heavily diluted if all 101 cities and nine counties were sitting at the table. Um, That's not to say, though, that everybody should have a voice. And I think that's some of the challenging things. And then I also think that having to have like the focus transportation agency in the county also creates another layer of government. Um, But I mean, we do have a very distinct role, um, but it does take some of the money away from what we really need to do is putting it in the street. Um, But then you know, part of that is just the nature of the beast. It's requirements at the state and federal level and the regional level, and having to really be on top of those requirements, um, I think, aids the jurisdictions so that they're focused on sort of the work that they need to do, uh, which is to make sure that our uh, uh, transportation infrastructure within the county right. is well-maintained. Talk about how this has to adjust and, and adapt over time to different mandates, different ideas, different policies that come down from the state. I mean, at one point, the state was spending money building roads, you know, creating wider highways. Now that's absolutely a no-no in in many quarters. Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that because it is. You know, during the Eisenhower administration, the whole focus of transportation was, you know, building the great highway network across the country, uh, and it was really driven by the sense and need of to be able to respond to security issues associated with, you know, foreign powers. And um, so now we have this amazing freeway infrastructure, and uh, nobody really gave some thought to how we would maintain it. Uh, the gas tax at the federal level in particular has been slow to increase. We've only had, I think the last increase was in the 90s. And so um, it is linked to how much uh, fuel that um, citizens consume, and that has gone down in real numbers. So we're basically trying to maintain our infrastructure on less money. And Caltrans at one point, I think it was probably close to 20 years ago now, just said, you know, we need to really focus on maintenance because the infrastructure that we do have is falling apart. It doesn't make sense to build new infrastructure if we can't maintain the existing infrastructure. And as part of that, they diverted a lot of the funds that came into each of the counties, which is called the State Transportation Improvement Program, to a program that they use for maintenance, um, safety, and operations, which is called the Safe uh, the um, Shop S H O P P Safe. I forgot. Now I'm off the top of my head. I'm just can't remember the the acronym, but. Um, it is specifically for maintaining um, the existing highway and freeway infrastructure um, and um, making safety improvements and operational improvements. And I think that Caltrans has sort of been lacking on the on the operational side. So we're really tapping in and working with the District 4 now that um, Senate Bill 1 funding is uh, has uh, been Secured. It, it was secured. Prop six was uh, was unsuccessful, um, and the state legislature passed this um, great legis- uh, bill last year to, um, and it's generating almost five billion dollars a year statewide. And uh, Caltrans has pretty much doubled the amount of money that goes to the shop program, State Highway Operation Protection Program. That's what the acronym stands for, and. Um, 
And so we are working with District 4 on how we can't leverage money that they have slated for, say, uh, maintaining the highway in American Canyon uh, for uh, making the really critical uh pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure that's needed along the highway. I mean, last year we had two people, a pedestrian and a cyclist killed um, because there wasn't that infrastructure there available. So we're um, uh, hoping to uh, leverage some of the shop money for that purpose and then to match it with other money that we have for both from Regional Measure 3 and also um, STIP money uh, so that we can make those improvements down there. Mm-hmm. As the gas tax money continues to shrink, really, as, as cars become more fuel efficient, less people are driving, I mean, all the things people read about and hear about, not to mention electric cars in the equation that, that will continue to come online. In your view, how is that going to affect this, all of these various pots of money down the road? Yeah, so I don't think we can continue to rely on uh, gas tax. Um, electric vehicles, um, as part of SB1, now have to pay a certain fee through the Department of Motor Vehicles um, so that, you know, they are using the roads. Sure, they're much cleaner. They don't um, cause as much damage to um, other elements of our environment, but they are, again, using the roads, and so they should have to pay for that. There's a number of um, things that have been studied. There is... Um, congestion pricing is key. There's a lot of expressways being built too in the Bay Area where drivers can um, use a lane that is in theory uh, less congested and pay that price. Um, The bridge tolls are another element. Regional Measure 3 passed last year and it will bring a lot of money to uh, Bay Area uh, jurisdictions to make improvements. We're, We're getting $20 $20 million from bridge tolls for improvements on State Route 29 in South County. Um, and then there's uh, $100 million that was um, committed to the four North Bay counties, including Napa Valley Transportation Authority for State Route 37. Um, but then there's also been studies to assess whether or not uh, drivers should have to pay by the mile, how much they're using the road versus um, the you know fuel efficiency of their car, right? So... Um, so there are there the state um, did a pilot program several years ago, and I, I can't off, off the top of my head remember them what the legislation was, but um, it it used the Portland or the Oregon um, Department of Transportation's model to identify and every you know you could participate in the pilot program. I know most of the staff at NVTA did, uh, where they gave you a device, you put it in your car, and then they calculated you know how many miles you were driving yeah. and just trying to figure out. Um, how much they would charge an individual driver so that it it basically um, held the existing revenue flows constant. I mean, it wasn't an, it's not an effort to necessarily increase what people pay, but to sort of figure out how to charge people. And, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's general resistance to that because I think people feel like there's a lack of privacy associated with the state following how many miles you're driving um, because there's a perceived uh, idea that they'll, they'll know exactly where you go. Right. And, and the other <laughs> part being it penalizes people in rural areas that have to drive further to that's Get that's places. true. And actually, um, that's interesting that you should bring that up because I recently participated. Uh, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission had a workshop for um, executives and elected officials on um, the transit um, 
fair integration in the Bay Area. And that was one of the things that came up too, is that, you know, many people can't afford to live in the Central Bay Area where all most of the jobs are. And so they're forced to have to try to find ways to get there. And in an ideal world, there'd be a great transit system and we would have so much money to <laughs> sure. basically have five minute frequencies and, you know, you'd be able to get there and everybody would want to take the bus or we would have a rail system here. Um, but the one of the things that came up around that was that, you know, usually people with lower incomes live further out and they're being penalized in all types of ways, both in their vehicle to get to work, but also in transit. It's very expensive to get to uh, San Francisco from Napa. And, you know, if you take the ferry, it's $15 each way. Uh, If you take our Route 29, uh, which goes uh, all the way to the El Cerrito del Norte, I think the cost of taking our bus is around six dollars now, but then you have to pay BART. Right. So it's um, it's a it's great that we have the service, but it's not necessarily cost effective for some people. You were talking before about some of the the SB one money and some of the other things that where it was allocated. How do those allocations get made? Does Napa lobby for its share? Is there some kind of formula that it's based on? How does that work? Right. So there's. Um, different um, programs in SB1, and most of the money has gone to the state, although um, a big portion of it went directly to the cities and the county based on the existing gas tax formula. Um, So 50% went to counties and 50% went to the cities. It almost doubled the amount of revenues that our local jurisdictions are getting. Um, On the transit side, it gets um, distributed on what is called the state transit assistance formula. Uh, We don't generate that much. It is a formula based on how much revenue you can generate, and this is non-federal revenue, um, for operating your transit systems and uh, MTC, and then another 50% of it is based on population. And MTC actually distributes the population uh, amount, and so we do get about 400000 on the transit side. But that's the only money that NVTA is getting, but there is a huge pots for um, it's a congested corridor program, which um, is um, you know an annual program, and I think it generates uh, over $200 million a year. There's also the local partnership program. Uh, the local partnership program is also a $200 million program and $100 million is based on is distributed statewide based on the amount of generations that you um, have on your self-help tax. So that's measure T for us. Um, we don't get a whole lot, but it's still some, I think it's several hundred thousand dollars a year. And um, so, but, you know, I think, you know, for instance, Oscar Junction is a, a priority project for the uh, Metropolitan Transportation Commission. It's also a priority project for Caltrans. And so I think we're well um, situated to pursue some funds for that project. But, you know, we're competing statewide. Right. Uh, and so when you think about... Uh, just as an example, the port, uh, access to ports, um, those are heavily, uh, you know, that's stuff the legislators are very interested in making sure that we're improving our throughput to ports and also reducing um, emissions near ports where people who are um, with limited incomes um, live. Uh, so there's a lot of competition for that big freeway um, infrastructure projects, which we don't have a freeway. So I think what 
what we do well is we're smart. We make a lot of connections with the uh, CTC, California Transportation Commission, with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. We advocate uh, a lot for the projects, and um, we have some great elected representatives. Um, Bill Dodd, who was integral in Senate Bill 1 uh, and Regional Measure 3, um, really advocating for the money that we got. And Alfredo Pedroza, Supervisor Pedroza, just recently now vice chair is now elected to the vice chair of the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, which is a really big deal. Uh, and um, and he has been very instrumental in um, both not only bringing money into Napa, but also um, coordinating with uh, the other members of the commission. Uh, and um, he's, you know, he hasn't been on it that long. So it's been, it's impressive, um, the sort of uh, efforts that he's made for us. Mm-hmm. In many ways, it's, you know, as you describe it, it's so much like school funding. For example, money goes round trip, there's categorical funding, there's general funding. I mean, it's a, it's a whole maze that, that is part of this process. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, <laughs> I think I think I used to laugh when I first got into transportation about how I just needed a high school diploma to really do this. But I mean, you also <laughs> need a really good memory to sort of follow the dollar. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that is one of the key, uh, the key, have, be having some sort of legacy in this industry uh, is key in following the dollar and how it works. Um, but, you know, if we were to look at considering like a total revamp and start charging people by the miles that they drive, um, that would really simplify the system. Um, and it would take a lot of questions out, but you know, we keep piling legislation on on both, not so much at the federal level, but at the state and local right. level. And so money comes from a lot of different places. And you have to understand sort of how you can use it, um, how you can take what you have and make it work for what you need. That is, for Napa, has been one of the bigger challenges. How is Napa perceived in terms of its needs? I mean, there's always the, the sense that, you know, you look around the greater Bay Area, there are so many areas that have real congestion, real traffic that make ours look maybe tough for, for those that are listening to us, but make ours look small by comparison. Well, I mean, the good news is all of our leaders come up to beautiful Napa Valley and then they realize how horrible it is and they go back and they try to do what they can do to help us. So um, we get three million <laughs> visitors a year, um, and but we also get a lot of trips because we have a labor uh, force that needs to support those three million visitors a year. Uh, and I so I think... I think that every, I think that our our leaders uh, recognize the challenges that we have, and realize that they can't ignore us. And I would have to. I just also would add that Napa Valley Transportation Authority is really recognized for how smart its staff is and some of the things that we've done on our own to make things better. I you know we were the first adopters of an app that um, allows uh, the jurisdictions, smaller shuttles in the Yountville, uh, American Canyon, uh, St. Helena, and Calistoga, you can call a shuttle uh, with our app the same way you would with Lyft and tell it where you want it to go. And it tells you when the vehicle is going to pick you up and how long it will take you to get to your destination. We're going to expand that app in um, July when we uh, unroll our or roll out our new service on the fixed route area in Napa, 
Um, and we're going to use that app in some of the low demand areas and see. And so that's, you know, we're, we're sort of on the leading edge there. People are waiting to see how this is going to work. Is it going to work? Um, how much is it going to cost? I mean, the idea is that we really want to serve the people who want to take transit, local transit in particular, because it tends to be people who, who rely on transit as their primary mobility. Um, but at the same time, we have a, a burgeoning express bus need and people commuting to the central part of the Bay Area. And so when we see that growing, we, you know, we're doing the best that we can to make our fixed route more efficient so that we can take some of those resources and put them into where the area, into areas where we know we have some growth. So People are watching to see what we're doing there. Um, we're hoping also to uh, have an autonomous vehicle shuttle in downtown. Right now, we're trying to come up with the revenues to do that. Our contractor, TransDev, the same contractor that operates the um, transit system, the Vine, um, they have a program that would allow us to do this, and the shuttle would basically um, link both sides of downtown together. It would go from uh, down first to Oxbow, down, uh, then to hang around on Juarez, which is just east of the CIA in downtown, and then right on 3rd, which will go by the fairgrounds and the Soskal Gateway Transit Center, and then back to downtown. And so it would be um, not a, uh, it would still have an attendant on board, but there are uh, these little um, shuttles that would carry about 15 people and are uh, wheelchair accessible. Um, so we're hoping, keeping our fingers crossed, that we can make that work. Talk about usage of the, of the bus system. And I know that comes up periodically, and, and people always ask about it because you see a bus go by and you don't see too many people on it, and what's, nobody's using it. Well, uh, my favorite question— But then question, when you see the numbers, they, yeah, they right, exactly. belie that. So uh, we serve about a million trips a year. I Usually when I ask that question, they'll go, mm, I don't know, 5,000 people a year? Mm. So no— um, you know, you will do. Sometimes you'll see an empty bus because it is um, better to have some predictability in your system and have regular intervals so that people don't have to research when the bus is coming. So there's that element. Um, but a lot of times you see the bus empty because it's going back to pick up more people. You know, that's called deadheading, uh, and um, you know you can't just it would be great if everybody from the central part of the bay area was using the bus to get up here and there are a few people that do that but mostly the people that we serve on the express bus go from napa down to uh, bart or the uh, vallejo ferry mm -hmm. so so you see that and and then i would also argue that sometimes our buses are actually um they have dark windows and they have um they're oftentimes um wrapped in, in advertising so you you can't see everybody in the right. bus too. So I think people want to see what they want to see. And also when you see a bus, you're often in the exact same place that you were last time. And that might not be the place where the bus has got the right. most people yeah, on it. So, point. yeah. So we have a couple of buses that are packed almost all day, the route eight um, and uh, the route 11, both very busy in the route 29. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the buses you see to and fro the campus here. Are, yeah. Uh, Often full. Right. We have a lot of people on. Right. 
Talk a little bit about the big projects for Napa right now. You mentioned Soskill Junction before. Certainly, you know, the thing you hear about the most when people talk about traffic is American Canyon and Highway 29. Right. Talk a little bit about what's going on in terms of those projects and what people might expect in the next couple of years. Yeah, sure. We have a lot going on right now on the highway side. Uh, we are um, have uh, three intersections that we're looking at, plus all of the improvements in American Canyon. And um, let me start with American Canyon because that is sometimes the most uh, complicated. And uh, there is a, an interest and there's a lot of rhetoric down there about widening the highway. And I think you mentioned it that Caltrans is not really supportive of widening the highway. There's opportunity to do that. Uh, there is legislation that allows Caltrans to relinquish the highway to a local jurisdiction. And then we would have the opportunity to consider that. But we also need to look at uh, cost effectiveness and to Im- to expand the entire infrastructure down there really would require that we expand it further north and there's a rail bridge and that bridge is probably the the number one thing that is um, stopping us from considering a widening the whole way that widening would cost probably upwards of 20 million dollars or more to do and we just re- revenues that it doesn't make sense. So I think there's a lot of operational opportunity. Uh, I think we can upgrade the signals to make them Im- improve the coordination between them. There's a whole bunch of new technology on that front. We can um, extend turn pockets. We can provide bike and pedestrian access so people are more likely to use alternative transportation. We can also uh, do uh, bus facilities so that the bus is not stopped and stopping traffic. Um, We can move all of our bus stops to the far side of signals so that when we do stop, the signals and the buses are operating in coordination with each other. Um, So there's a number of things. We're also, um, the city of American Canyon and the county of Napa are working together to make Devlin go through. So when, and and Newell is another opportunity to move um, that through to Napa Junction. So I think that has to do with conversations between the city and the developer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know long-term how much that's going to take, and I'm not privy to those conversations. But one of the things that we're going to be doing, we we just... um, we released the comprehensive corridor plan, which is a requirement to receive certain SB1 funds. And we're going to be taking a look at modeling what the corridor looks like when there's two parallel routes. Because I think what you're going to find is local traffic will use the parallel routes off the corridor and then you'll see more regional traffic. The other thing that's going on right now is that red top expansion in the overpass to 680 and 80, that's fully funded. You're going to, that is going to be, make a significant improvement Huge on that access. So a lot of people are going to choose to use that because they're not going to have to stop at any signals then. Um, and, uh, you know, right now more people use it since Jameson was widened, but they um, get stopped and they can't actually come from San Francisco very easily onto 12 and there'll be an overpass that'll allow them to do that. So there's a lot of operational improvements that's going to prevent the backup going eastbound in the afternoons and um, improve access from San Francisco or from um, eastbound 80. Um, There's also, um, you you know, a lot of opportunity for us to make um, uh, aesthetic improvements in American Canyon, really make it feel like a downtown corridor um, 
infrastructure project rather than a kind of a not so a, attractive highway. So, so there's lots of things that we are going to do, and um, we hope to be able to find a way to prioritize RM3 funds for that because Soskal Junction is a much more competitive project, and so um, we can bring outside funds for that. Uh, the other intersections that we're looking at, a simple $3 million each, we think, uh, airport and t uh, Highway 12, we just extend all the turn pockets, uh, maybe even extend the turn pocket all the way from Soskal Junction to uh, southbound to airport uh, so that we have plenty of um, opportunities to get um, plenty of opportunities to get cars, you know, that are turning left. Right outside the main part of the corridor. And then Carneros were extending uh, a uh, free right-hand lane northbound uh, and then extending the turn pockets on that as well. So there's some improvements that we can make that would not be considered capacity uh, projects. So there would be a lot of interest at the state level to fund those projects. And finally, talk a little bit about the time frame on these, not each project specifically, but just people talk all the time about these things sound great, but they take so long. And by then, more people are living here. There's more traffic. And, and you know, what does it accomplish? Talk a little bit about the efforts <laughs> to really speed up the yeah. time frame okay. in, in a that's way a that's question. possible. Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, Napa is a little bit behind in understanding that Caltrans is not going to come in with a cape and rescue us and um, help us do all the things that we want to do and think the same way that the locals do. So that's where I think the role of the Napa Valley Transportation Authority has taken a much stronger stance. Um, Caltrans, we gave Caltrans, I want to say, probably 18 years ago, money to complete the environmental document on Soskal Junction, and we're still working on it. And so finally, um, I got a little personally fed up, and, and we hired uh, a um, consultant to really do a design on uh, an alternative because the flyover was not supported by locals. It didn't allow bicycles and pedestrians to use that intersection. It was not context sensitive to Napa Valley. Uh, it really would have created a pretty bad eyesore type interchange. So what we are looking at now is a north and south uh, overpass over Soskal. We're going to lower Soskal a little bit and underneath we'll have two roundabouts that will allow for uh, turning movements in almost every direction, allow for bikes and pedestrians. We won't have to cut off Soskal Ferry Road, which was part of the design on Soskal on the flyover. Um, and so far we have gotten largely supportive comments on it. So we're we're moving forward with that project. We should have the environmental document completed at the end of this year, 16 years in the making. But NVTA is going to be taking the lead on the engineering in coordination with Caltrans, as well as we do have a, a, a State Route 29 working group, which includes all the jurisdictions, the county, the city, and the, the city of American Canyon, because it is important to get their feedback. And we are will be probably completed with the design at the end of maybe mid, well, I would say early 2020, and we hope to break ground in 2020, latter, latter part of 2020 or 2021. Um, we don't have all the funding for Carneros and for airport pulled together. Uh, we will have enough money for congested corridor, but 
because that project is so high profile, or for the, sorry, for uh, Soskal Junction, because that project is so high profile, we are going to be pursuing competitive grant funds to make sure that we can uh, stretch the $20 million in RM3 funds throughout the rest of the corridor. And real quickly, uh, up Valley, when new hotels open in Calistoga and lots more traffic up there, talk a little bit about what the thoughts are and what might be happening up there at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, land use is a critical component to making our transportation system work better. And I think that there is recognition by both the employers as well as the smaller jurisdictions that we have to come up with other means to get people up Valley. Um we have um, a demonstration project that, uh, thanks to Supervisor Pedrosa, he's been working with some uh, industry leaders, and he got a million dollars from, a little over a million dollars from the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, and we're going to match that locally with private sector funds um, to introduce um, what's called, um, well, it's mobility as a service, right? So M, capital M, little a, little a, S, MOS is what, it's a new acronym. Uh, and it really what it is is Loom um, is a is an app that allows users to um, find what is the quickest way to get somewhere. It will show you whether you can use transit and how that works. So it's really consolidated in one place. But key to this is the ability to know where your neighbor is that may go in the same place that's on the app and you may commute together. Um, we have ride-sharing services right now that we can coordinate um, you to participate in a carpool. But the, what the difference is on the on the app is that you don't have to use it every day. A carpool is a, a long-term investment. You all agree that you're paying a certain right. amount of money to get from point A to point B, and that you're going to do it five days a week, and there's no flexibility in when you go and when you come home, and there's challenges for working families where, you know, how do you get back to your kids and things like that. So what this would do is allow you to do it informally whenever you want, um, very much the same as you get to take an Uber, only you're now riding with somebody. The driver gets a certain amount of money per mile for every passenger uh, they take in their car. Um, you don't even have to go home with the same person. Uh, y- you probably will work with this person too. And and the idea is to, um, you know, there's also some risk aversion, particularly among uh, females, about riding with strangers and um, so all of those things, that would take that those things away because it would be either be your neighbor or it would be a coworker. Um, then there's um, the employer can use it to give you employee benefits associated with travel. And uh, there's a there's a gaming mechanism to it where you can get incentives that your employer mm-hmm. gives you. Could be free parking, could be lunch, could be accumulation of you know days off um, to encourage people to use alternative transportation. Um, so I think there's a lot of um, possibility in that. So that's one element, and we're using um, uh, some large employers up Valley on that. But we're introducing the same thing for that anybody can use in Napa Valley called Ride Amigos, and we're rolling that out now. It's a very similar app. Uh, we will be doing, the NBTA will be doing the incentivizing. Um, we're going to be giving Amazon, I think it's gift cards, a certain amount of points that you get. And then you're then if you continue to do it, you'll get put into a drawing and get a much bigger gift. Um, so uh, we're hoping that we can get 
leverage people. And it, it, it's not the idea isn't to get everybody off the road because we do have a road, but it's to get enough people off the road to where congestion is not horrible uh, and that your commute it makes sense um, and and then it fits more with the amount of capacity we actually have. Kate Miller, Napa Valley Transportation Authority, I thank you so much for coming in and sharing with us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.